0: your bibles turn with me to james chapter 1 and we will continue on this morning in the book of james and uh, studying this passage together where we left off last week with our bridge verse of verse 16. so james chapter 1 verses 16 through 18 if you have your half sheet of paper i would encourage you to go ahead and pull that out at this time and maybe just maybe i'll give you something to write down on that piece of paper and so let's uh, begin to read this verse together james chapter 1 Let's start in verse 16, and we will go to verse 18, where we picked off again right last week. James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures." That's our text, let's pray it in. Lord, we ask your help as we study your word. Oh, would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh, Lord, you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Lord, would these words not just give us more information, but would it lead to um, uh, action outside of this place? Would this be a sanctuary for our souls so as we go out into the world around us, we can take all that we have learned and sung about and make it to application in our lives for the people that we'll come in contact with around us. Lord, be near to us, change us, shape us, and mold us into your image, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Well, you'll be reminded last week that we ended in James chapter one with this, this central verse of verse 16 being our bridge to today. Right? James finishes with, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. We reminded last week we weren't deceived because we know that God does not tempt us to sin. That's when our own evil desires work their way out, that it's our sin desires that work their way towards sin. And it works its way towards death. And we had a comparison. If you remember the two pathways, right? The, the pathway that desires lead to sin lead to death. And the other pathway that leads to the crown of life, right? So we had two different distinct pathways. And, and here you see James writing very clearly, do not be deceived. Which one do you wanna be on? Do you wanna be on the pathway to the crown of life to hear a well done, good and faithful servant? Do you wanna be on the pathway to life? Or or do you wanna do the things that bring about death? And so James is very clear to bring this bridge gap together to say, do not be deceived. And it's not just do not be deceived about where the crown of life and how death comes about, but he's also reminding us in this bridge verse about where every good and perfect gift comes from, and that's what we're gonna talk about. But before we do that, there's a, there's a, a word here that I wanna draw out because the book of James draws it out quite often. And it's really a, a pastoral word. James writes, and if you have your Bible open to the book of James, you can begin scanning through how many times you see the word brothers. How often James says here, he says, "'Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers.'" We're reminded in James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers. Next week, we're going to see in James chapter 1, verse 19, he's going to start with, know this, my beloved brothers. Right over and over again, James uses the word brothers because he's not writing to people he doesn't know. He's writing to people he loves and cares for deeply. He's not writing to just people who are nebulous. He's writing to the people that he loves deeply and dearly. I mean, James is saying, my beloved brothers and sisters, my beloved, do not be deceived. My my people, my beloved brothers, I love you. Don't be deceived into this thinking. This is what makes this so beautiful from James because he loves the brothers and sisters that he's writing to. And with heartfelt emotion, he's saying, my beloved... I see where this leads. I see where you've gone. It's the same thing that's happening since Genesis. My beloved, don't let this happen to you. My beloved, see and hear and receive. My beloved brothers. And this is what makes the body of Christ so profound and beautiful. That James writing to the dispersed people, the Jews who have left home and family, who are facing trials of various kinds, he's not writing them saying, hey, pick it up, get it together. He's saying, my beloved, my brothers, I know that you're in the midst of trials of various kinds. I know that you're facing hardships. I know that there's difficulty. I know that the devil is out to seek to steal, kill, and destroy. My beloved, I know that the enemy is roaring all around you. My beloved, I know this, but please hear me and receive this. James is writing to his beloved, his brethren, men and women in his church who he's been through the trenches with the men and women who he's walked through difficulty and journeyed with who he's seasoned with who he's cut his teeth the people he's been with in the trenches of life and ministry he loves them and those simple words my beloved brothers is a reminder to each of us in the body of Christ the posture that we take with one another that as we walk through and journey through seasons in life and difficulty and struggles and hardships and calamity and seasons of loss and joys and sorrows and pains, as we walk through the ups and downs of life with people, we don't take the posture of, here's the Bible, get it together. We take my beloved brother, my beloved, don't be deceived, my beloved, take here and receive my beloved. We get in the trenches with people to love them to Jesus, my beloved. And you see James write over and over and over again in the book of James, Brothers, sister, beloved, my people, see and receive the word of God. See it. Don't you know we've walked through this together? Don't you know that this is good? Don't be deceived. And here again in James chapter 1, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. There's a level of care that we have with one another in the body of Christ. There's a level of care that we have with people to love and care and to give God's word, to walk in the trenches with people. So then, let's look at this together. Number one on your outline, we're going to follow the same pattern together of three separate questions that we talked about last week. Number one, what is there to be deceived about? What is there to be deceived about? If James is saying, Do not be deceived, my brothers, and we looked at last week and this week, what is there then to be deceived about? Well, as I was preparing uh, this message and I was getting my outline together, uh, I received a text message and then a couple more and then a couple phone calls all at the same time, which usually means one thing. Somebody is out there trying to scam me and act like I I am asking for gift cards, right? It's that season again. I don't know if you've gotten that text message from me, but I promise you I'm not asking you for Google and iTunes gift cards. It's not happening, all right? But it seems like about once or twice a month, I'll get a barrage of calls and text messages asking, hey Mark, I got a a strange text message from you and you said you needed my assistant urgently for a confidential matter. And um, sometimes these scammers will will play to heartstrings and begin to say all sorts of really uh, terrible things to try to get people to go out and buy Google Play gift cards or iTunes gift cards to ultimately deceive them. And and I thought about the level of deception that evil people will go to 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 try to deceive good people into doing seemingly good things, right? And it came out afresh and anew as those text messages popped up and people were asking, Mark, are you asking me for gift cards? Why do you need these $500 gift cards for uh, people who are in the hospital? It reminded me that deception is everywhere, right? Do not be deceived. What do we have to be deceived about? Deception is everywhere, I mean, even in advertisements that we go to, we watch TV, you watch football yesterday, you were just barraged with advertisement telling you deceptive messages. Drink this, you'll dunk a basketball. Eat this, and you'll all of a sudden become slim. Take this pill, and all of a sudden everything will go away, right? Do these things in these advertisements, and you will be deceived into thinking you will have the lifestyle and the life that you are perceiving on the television. Deception is everywhere. Spiritually, deception is everywhere. Last week, when we looked at the pathway that leads to destruction, the pathway that leads to life, it's not as if these two choices are clear in front of us and then say, you take life or you take death. All the while, you see the enemy prowling around, deceiving people into taking what appears to be the pathway to life. As you read this passage, you see, do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. The Father of lights, in him there is no shifting or shadow due to change. The Father of lights, the Father of lights that dispels the darkness. Second Corinthians also reminds us in verse 14 of chapter 11. If you have the Father of lights who is giving every good gift, and Paul would remind us in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as angels of righteousness, as servants of righteousness. Do you see this dichotomy that we have here? That we have the father of lights. The, there's no shifting of shadow. There's no turning with thee, as we just sang just a moment ago, great is thy faithfulness. There's no shadow in the Lord. He is light. But wouldn't it make sense that our adversary would not prowl around with devil horns and a pitchfork to make it obvious who he is, but he would prowl around disguising himself as an angel of light to deceive us, to deceive, if possible, his, or God's people into doing all sorts of things that are against the word of God. Ephesians 5, 8 reminds us, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to God. We are children of the light, because we've trusted in the name of Jesus. But don't you know that the enemy would prowl around like an angel of light, roaring like an angel of light, trying to deceive his children into doing things that God would ordain as wrong. So what is there to be deceived about? There is a whole host to be deceived about. Since Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter three, excuse me, in the garden of Eden, we saw the first deception. We've been through this. We've seen how the enemy will come to deceive and to undermine and to uproot the word of God and his calling in our lives. So what is there deceived about? It is for us to be deceived an agent of light friends there's something sweet about light in the darkness I don't know about you but our kids have uh, night lights in their room and for some reason when those night lights don't work all of a sudden as soon as you flip the, the lamp off and you leave the room all of a sudden fear creeps into that little room but as soon as you turn that nightlight on, all of a sudden all fear is gone, all problems sleeping melt away because of that singular nightlight that seems to dispel the darkness and drive the fear away. In the same way there's not much to be deceived about when the light is on. When we are trusting in truth, when we are walking in light, when God's word becomes a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway drives out the enemy's darkness so what is there to be deceived about there's a whole lot but number two what good and perfect gifts are given if you see do not be deceived what are we deceived about but also verse 17 what good and perfect gifts are given what good and perfect gifts does God give if we see every good and perfect gift comes from above let me just make a list you've got a little room on your outline but let me give you some good and perfect gifts that God gives us if we were to say then that God does not tempt us to sin, and we see that God gives us good gifts, what sorts of things does he give us? Let's start with number one. He gives us Jesus, right? A good gift that God has given us. I think all of us would say amen. Hopefully so, that God's given us Jesus, right? Not giving you a Sunday school answer, but he has given us indeed Jesus. John three sixteen tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that if we believe in him, we would not perish, but we would have everlasting life. First and foremost, the greatest gift that we could ever get is Jesus. Again, not giving you a Sunday school answer. I'm giving you the best answer, right? God has given us Jesus to save us of all of our sin. Every good and perfect gift starts and ends in Jesus, right? So he has given us Jesus. What else has he given us? He's given us the Holy Spirit of God. God has given us a good gift in the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask for it? What a great gift that God has given us. Not only has he given us Jesus, he has given us the Holy Spirit. How good is this? And the good news is it gets better. That's not it right? He's given us the Holy Spirit. What else has he given us? He's given us salvation, John 1, 12. But to all you who did receive him, he believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. He's given us salvation. What else? He's given us eternal life. 1 John 5 11. this is my testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this is in this is life in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. He's given us Jesus, the Holy Spirit, salvation, and eternal life. What else could we ask for? But that's not it. What else has he given us? He's given us peace. He's given us peace. Let me give you this: John 14, 27, peace. I leave with you my peace I give to you he's given us peace peace I leave with you my peace I'm giving you peace but listen closely in John 14 27 not as the world gives do I give peace that's that's crystal clear not as the world gives do I give peace see this world gives a peace that is not lasting and it is not long Jesus gives a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that is different in the circumstances we face. It is undergirding, it is strengthening, it is whole, and it is complete. The world gives us peace that would band-aid us from the next situation. The world gives a peace that is temporary and fleeting. The world gives a peace that in the end leads to more thirst. But Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you, my peace I'm giving it to you. In Jesus, there is an abundance of peace that he gives to us, his children. And I believe that the enemy would would like to bait us into having temporary peace. Uh, Remember a a season in high school where... uh, There's a week coming up that uh, just things were happening and I was a little bit anxious about the week. And so as a high school boy, I did what, uh, you know, what I thought was wise um, during this week in the summer. I went to Best Buy and I bought a PlayStation because that's how I was going to deal with uh, the incoming anxiety or the incoming uh, moments of uncertainty that were coming my way is to buy a PlayStation. And man, it worked for a little while. And up Mountain Dew and pizza for a couple hours and playing a PlayStation really helps a teenage boy for a little while. But after about two, three hours and playing uh, all sorts of games and eating pizza and drinking Mountain Dew, all of a sudden I found that those waves of feelings and things came right back. The piece that I was searching for, it, it did, a little, did a little good on the flickering screen for a little while, made me forget some things for just a few moments. But in the end it left me in the exact same place i was before i left the house john 14 27 reminds us that jesus says peace i leave with you my peace i give to you he's called the prince of peace this is a gift that god has given us what else has god given us as a good and perfect gift he's given us wisdom James 1.5 reminds us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. God gives wisdom. Now, that's where my list stops. But can I tell you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the list goes on and on and on and on of good and pleasing and perfect gifts that God gives. You could begin thinking and listing in your heart and your mind the gifts that God has given you. Maybe sometimes there are circumstances and situations that are not in the moment pleasing and good, but they are good for our souls. God gives good and perfect gifts coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Which would lead us to the number three point this morning. Does God change? Does, does God change? And, and I can resoundingly say, as I did last week with the simple question, does God change? No, he doesn't. But let's understand and let's dive in for just a moment. Does God change? Because this has uh, far-reaching implications for us. Because if God changes, uh, we got some problems, right? Right? Does Does God change himself in circumstances? No. Does he get grumpy? No. Does he get better? No. Does he get worse? No. To say God would change and get better would imply that at some point he's been worse. So God can't get better than he already is because he's perfect. Hebrews 13 tells us Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 102, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain, and they will all wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Friends, if God does not change, if God stays the same yesterday, today, and forever, If God today is the same God who flung the stars into the sky and holds everything together by his creative word, he created everything that is. If this is the same God that we worship today, that was in the beginning, then it means his promises are secure. It means his mercies are still good for us today. It means the hope of heaven is still real and right for us It means the same things that we read all throughout the pages of our Bible about who God is and his faithfulness and his goodness are as true today as they were in the past. They're as true today for us as they were yesterday. His mercies continue to be new to us today, tomorrow, and forever. You may say, well, there are places where God changes his mind or God changes or alters his story. And I want to just share with you one of those because I think it's pungent for us today. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's the book of Jonah. And you'll be reminded that Jonah was called by God to go to the Ninevites and preach a message of repentance to the Ninevite people. And like many of us, I love the book of Jonah because like Jonah, I felt this calling of the Lord and said, that's cool and all, but I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do the opposite of what you said, right? Arise and go to Nineveh. Jonah fled and went the opposite direction. I don't know how many of you have been in experiences like that. Felt the call of the Lord, but felt like, nope, can't do it, not going to do it. And can I tell you right off the bat how thankful I am that God didn't say, well, you know what, Jonah, you messed up. I got a lot of other people I can choose from. I got a lot of other people I can go to and ask them to go do this. You know, I got a lot of people around. There are a lot of people on this earth. I bet I could find somebody else. Jonah, you know, go on down, flee to Joppa. I'm going to get a a big whale to come pick you up. And he's not going to spit you out on dry land, all right? God would have been fully right, fully in bounds, and fully just when Jonah avoided the word of the Lord and went the opposite direction, to say, done with you. But his grace is still sufficient. And so there, God calls to Jonah in the midst of a big whale to come and swallow him up and spit him up on dry land. God comes again to Jonah and says, Jonah, go to the Ninevites and tell them that in 40 days, I'm gonna destroy their people. This is what God said. And so Jonah, not liking the Ninevite people, goes to the Ninevites and says, in 40 days, God is gonna destroy you as a people because your wickedness has reached the heavens. You will be cut off from the face of this earth. And what happens? The greatest revival, some would say, in the history of mankind happens in the Ninevite people. They rip off their clothes, they put on sackcloth and ash, and they repent of their sins, and they are before the Lord, crying out to the Lord for salvation. And what does God do? The Bible says he does not do what he said he was going to do. Now, some would say, well, God changed his mind. God didn't do what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to. And Jonah actually was pretty upset that God didn't do what he said he was going to do. Jonah got really upset. That's why he's called the pouting prophet, right? Because he got super upset. God, you, you said you're going to destroy the people. Why didn't you destroy them? You said you were going to do it. Now I look foolish because I said you were going to do it and you didn't do it. See, God didn't change the Ninevite people changed. And God in his grace, in his mercy, in his fullness, relented of his anger. You see in Jonah, Jonah says in chapter four, he says, I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew that you are a gracious God, that you are merciful, slow and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And God didn't change. The people changed. Does God change? No. God does not change his mind. God doesn't change his character and his nature. His promises are secure for us today. Friends, at the bottom of your outline, you see a final point for us this morning. It's simply this let's go together. Let's go together. From the beginning of James chapter one, when you see my beloved brothers and count it all joy, my brothers, when you see these words and scriptures, I say, let's go together because let's go together. Let's encourage one another. Let's build one another up. Let's walk together through the ups and downs of life. And let's encourage one another to seek truth, to look for the good and perfect gifts, which are coming from above. And let's remind ourselves that God's word does not change. I'll go back to verse 16 as we conclude this morning. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you that your promises are true and that your word is secure. Lord, I thank you that your word is a lamp into our feet and it's a light unto our pathway. It dispels the darkness. Lord, we know that our adversary would disguise himself and his servants would disguise himself as an angel of light attempting with everything to deceive God's people into doing ungodly things, to lead us not in the path of righteousness, but to lead us in a pathway towards destruction. So Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us stability of our heart to know it. Anchor us near your word so that we know truth and that we walk and live in it. Lord, give us compassion and grace and patience that we would rejoice in hope, that we would be patient in tribulation, and that we would be constant in prayer. We love you, it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This morning, Brad.